Let me begin by giving away the sermon. In the midst of wrestling with the greatest of struggles, we run the risk of reduction. And in that reduction, we miss meaning and details. The detail I want to bring out today is the impact of racism and white supremacy on our very bodies, in particular, on the bodies of people of color, of black people, of indigenous people. My question is what might we, as a people of faith, do when how we treat ourselves and our neighbors comes from this treatment of the body and its related question of freedom, of movement, of freedom of the individual, of freedom of the collective to function. What I'm talking about today in this conversation about the impact on the body is the competing dreams that we have before us. The dream of Dr. King, of peace, of people living in more harmony. And also the dream that ta Coates talks about in the reading, the dream of white supremacy and how that all plays out right here and right now. Every year I look forward to this Sunday and the opportunity to reflect on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and all of his languages and all of his messages. There is the oration and there is the content. I asked Amy Pop to offer the particular story today of Martin's big words because it captures Dr. King's essence and his language. And that book reminds me yet again of the richness of what he spoke and how much it has become scripture and poetry. For example, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. There are some things in our social system to which all of us ought to be maladjusted. And we must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means. Just to name a few. And over time, his language and his oration has become poetry, touchstones that are powerful and evocative. I think of his work and I breathe in that peace and I breathe out that love, all the while connecting to the dream that he describes. That dream is a way of kind of opening a window onto a different way of understanding what could be, what the shape of our world could look like, what, how we could exist in time and space, in real life. But of course, there's more than just the narrative, the poetry and the imagery of Dr. King. He was speaking from real life. Author and speaker, ta Coates, speaks to that real life, the origin of the struggle 
around race and enslavement and white supremacy. He speaks to that in many ways, but in particular in his 2015 book, Between the World and Me. It is structured as a letter to his 15-year-old son, where Coates talks about how the black body has been subjugated by white culture and American function and practice. He summarizes in this book the history of assault on control on the black body while speaking from his life, his losses, and the trauma of the community in which he grew up. He says, he talks about being a father who does not offer comfort or consolation to his 15-year-old son. After his son hears about the death of Michael Brown from a white officer's gunshots in Ferguson, Missouri. Coates says, but you are a black boy and you must be responsible for your body in a way that other boys cannot know even while remaining profoundly out of control and subject to the system around you. He talks about not giving up a little freedom to gain the strength of community, like we might often preach in our Unitarian Universalist congregations, uh, mutual accountability, responsibility to living in covenant. That's not what Coates is talking about. Coates is talking about being on guard, for the sake of survival as the default of how to be in the world. This is just one, one slice of how violence on black bodies has deep, deep implications for all of us. That being on guard at nearly every moment of one's existence. For me, more to Coates's work is, as a white person, is having a glimpse of the embodiment of his point, uh, of reflecting on uh, going to like the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, where they have preserved the balcony where Dr. King was shot along with the line of the shot and the building across the street. There is a difference for me between the abstraction of oppression and even great documentaries and that direct experience of being in the spot and looking at that balcony. We are embodied with everything that has been passed down to us, the oppression, the institutions, how long the struggle has been. We are embodied. And the past couple of weeks, we have had all over again the question of the body, white bodies and black bodies and people of color and those who are indigenous. We have had this all over again with the activity in the Capitol, with the attempted coup, and how the white protesters and rioters were treated quite differently than those who were in the Black Lives Matter marches last summer.
Ta-Nehisi Coates is unsparing in his concern and in trying to get to the depth of the impact on the body. But he does offer a degree of hope. He says, it is good to have values and to have high aspirations. He is not saying to his son that there is nothing to live for. He says, it is good to be in the struggle. But it's so important to be clear about the context and not underestimate the risk. Do not underestimate the power that the dream Coates describes in the reading, that that dream holds over us. That the white male hero remains the strongest image in our culture. Look at, again, the attempted coup in the Capitol. This year, however, may be a chance to become more aware of the real need to fulfill King's dream and the violence on the black bodies that, that were the origination of that dream and to continue to shift and dismantle the dream of the white hero. In an interview with, today, with the Today Show, after this past November election, Coates acknowledges all that has happened in 2020 to bring about more awareness of race and class and poverty and policing. He is measured in his optimism, however, in the dream that is this country, the dream that's more about the one that Coates describes. Waves of awakening have come and gone even in our great democratic experiment. But it is something, it is something that our incoming Vice President Kamala Harris and Coates and many of their peers came from historically black colleges and universities, from people who have been cultivating the lives of people of color for a very long time and counteracting the harm. Coates talks about how for four years, when one is at one of those colleges or universities, for four years, the black people, people of color, are affirmed in their history, in their appearance, in their skill, in their very existence. That they have not just a right to, to live, but a right to thrive and lead and grow and create a future. And that is in such contrast to the constant social messages that say that whiteness and blondness and the Skywalker and the Superman are still better. We still have those messages, still those messages in abundance around us and in that also comes with the flip side of criminalizing blackness. That is still the case among us as well. There is an opportunity to take up Dr. King's words that call to the white liberal churches to show up and speak up. Perhaps this is the liberal 
challenge the liberal question. It is this dream, Coates's dream, that I have been in and have been able to live all of my life for someone like myself as a white person. And I can no longer deny how we are all bound to that legacy of violence. So maybe I can see the dream that Coates describes and the dream that Dr. King describes and open that window and ask, knowing that all of the history and legacy and possibility that is behind us and around us, what would it be? What would it be like to be a true body of freedom, a people, a human world, unfettered by the exercise, by such terrible exercise of bias and power? What would it be to be that kind of body of authentic freedom, responsibility, abundance, and future. I would rather live in the struggle than live in the illusion. I would rather live in the struggle than live in the illusion. I think there is a road to the dream of Dr. King. We get to be authentic and honest about the nature of what has been, our place in it, and all the work that is to come. It has only been 150 years or so since the first chains came off the bodies themselves. How shall we take care of the chains that remain? Let that be our call. Let that be our work as we go forward. <laughs>